Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We've gone through 21 days of fasting about momentum and emptying ourselves and breaking off some paths and an anointing service over everybody's life. And we're starting the year so incredibly well, just a great spirit of faith and a spirit of uh, vision is upon every person's life. And I can feel that upon you. So this can be one of the greatest years of your life. I want you to have a full year with a full life. And so to do that, we're going to walk through some things in the book of Ecclesiastes that are so absolutely, incredibly relevant. You would think you're reading a newspaper that was written yesterday when you read the book of Ecclesiastes. You think you're reading a novel about a person who found what was wrong with life and put it into writing, and we're going to look at that. My card, entitled Full, is 31 Divisions of the Book of Ecclesiastes. I would like you to consider, and I throw these things out. You don't have to follow my card. You don't have to read them. You don't have to use them. Uh, if you have your own devotional thing, whatever, that's up to you. But I do this just to give aid for those who want it and also to try to unify our minds. So I'm not trying to pontificate this upon your personal life. I'm just throwing it out there that you might want to line up with this. And if you're not doing consistent devotions, maybe this would be a great way for you to get involved. I would like you to consider journaling and doing some writing about yourself. Many of you have never journaled in your life. You probably have never kept a day-by-day prayer book or a day-by-day answers to prayer or a day-by-day need book or any time you read the Bible writing down your questions. A lot of people just don't do that. They just pray and read and go on with life, which is fine. But maybe during this series, during the series called Full, you might just buy a, a special uh, journal book or a notebook or some pad and paper, and, and uh, you would put full on the cover of it. And for the next 31 days, and maybe for the next 62 days, you would journal with me as we preach through the book of Ecclesiastes. It would be very easy to do. You would simply take number one, and you would read the first 11 verses, Ecclesiastes 1, verses 1 through 11. And then there's one phrase that I put next to each one of these divisions about life, because that's what I'm dealing with. Life is meant to be lived with meaning. So you would simply put down Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 11. You would title that page, Life is Meant to be Lived with Meaning. And then you would read the passage and you might journal. Then you would pray over that passage. You might put down some of your insights as you read those 11 verses. You might put down some of your personal needs. You might put down something out of that portion of Scripture that speaks to you about your life not having meaning or purpose or some problems with the quality of your spiritual and natural life. And you might put down some questions about that, or maybe a verse will quicken something in you, and you would say, wow, that's, that's really right for me. I, I need to really pray more about this. And after you do this for 31 days and you read through the entire book of Ecclesiastes, I guarantee you, you would feel like you accomplished something. You will feel like something has uh, maybe opened up in your heart. Uh, you will definitely understand the book of Ecclesiastes probably more than you ever have understood it because I'll be researching and preaching as much as I can on it. You'll be reading it. The Holy Spirit can weed the two together and out will come some wonderful things about your life on how to live a full life. Now, with that... If I asked you this morning, which I'm going to do, do you have a pen and paper? If I asked you this morning to do something with me, and you did it, which I hope you do, 
And I asked you this question. What have you learned about life in the last five years? And then I would ask you to answer it and write down one line, one thing, one sentence. It might be a long sentence. But if I would ask you right now, what is it that you would glean from life from the last 5, 10, 15, or maybe your whole life, if you can do that in one sentence and something that pops up? What have you learned about life that you can put your hand on and say, I have learned it's easier to forgive than it is to have bitterness? Well, that would be a great thing to learn. I have learned... It's better to keep your friends than to always find new ones. Well, that's a little hard to do. I have learned that when I'm at peace with God, life seems to work better for me. Whatever it might be. What have you learned about life in the last five years? Would you right now write down one thing that you have learned? Try it. Okay? One, two, three, go. If you don't have anything to write on, just write on your heart and say, well, what I've learned is... I make a lot of bad decisions when I don't get enough counsel. Well, that's something to learn and write down. You would write down maybe one thing. It might be a short or long sentence. It might be a deep and meaningful thing. It might be kind of a light and superficial, just off-the-cuff thought. Whatever it is, just write it down. As soon as you do this, answer my second question. If you could write down one thing that you regret about your life right now, or over your lifetime, or over a period of time, five, ten years, but if you have a known regret, and it's a grief to you when it comes up in your heart, would you write it down right now? Do you have any regrets with your life? I had a man come to me in the first service weeping. He says, I, I wrote something down, I want you to know what it is. And then he told me what it was, and it was uh, very touching. It was very, uh, you would never think somebody would have that kind of a regret. But boy, he was weeping. He says, you know what else, Pastor Frank? I regret that I've never taken seriously what you taught this morning. My glass is half empty most of the time. And that's the way I live. I know better. I've told other people not to do it this way. But I get an attitude, my glass gets half empty, and I go through life half full, and I know that what you preached this morning is for me. And as he began to dump his heart out and just weep before me, I felt so moved for this man and, and other people that I've talked to almost every service about their regrets or their life or half full or half baked or where you're going or what's going on or satisfaction level or enjoyment. Are you really enjoying your life right now? Would your life be so categorized by fulfillment that people know it because you wear the smile, you have the step, you have the look, you have the attitude, you you have what it takes just to enjoy life. No matter how life has thrown you the curveball or done some surprises for you, you absolutely just enjoy life and you're full in your spirit because God has graced you. Where are you in life? Your regrets and some of the things you've learned. Let me read you. Some things some people learn from life. Some of these are humorous. From a six-year-old child to a 95-year-old person. These are some things they said they learned in life. The six-year-old said, I've learned that you can't hide a piece of broccoli in a glass of milk. (laughs) Seven-year-old, I've learned that I like my teacher because she cries every time we sing Silent Night. I've learned, a six-year-old, 
When you wave at people who live in the country, they stop what they're doing and wave back. Why doesn't anybody in the city do that? I've learned, a 12-year-old, that just when I get my room the way I like it, mom makes me clean it up. A 13-year-old, I've learned that if you want to cheer yourself up, you have to cheer someone else up first. A 13-year-old. 15-year-old, I've learned that although I don't like to admit it, and I don't like to say this to my parents, but I am secretly very, very happy that my parents are very strict with me. That's an insight. 24-year-old, I've learned that silent company is often more healing than the many words of noisy company. I've learned that brushing my child's hair is one of life's great pleasures. Mm-hmm. I've learned that wherever I go, the world's worst drivers have followed me there. I've learned that if someone said something unkind to me, I must live so that no one will believe what they said. I've learned that there are people who love you dearly, but they just can't show it. They can't say it. And you have to understand that. I've learned that you can make somebody happy just by simply sending them a little note. I've learned that you can uh, make somebody happy by simply giving them a hug. I've learned that the greater a person's sense of guilt, the greater his need to cast blame on everyone else. I've learned that children and grandparents are natural allies. I've learned that if you sing Amazing Grace, no matter where or when, your spirit is lifted for hours. I've learned that motel mattresses are better on the side away from the phone. I've learned you can tell a lot about a person by three things they handle in life. One, how a person handles a rainy day. Well, if that's true, you can understand something about a person by how they handle a rainy day. We are very mature people. We know how to handle a rainy day because that's the days we have. How a person handles rainy days, lost luggage. Have you ever been in a lost luggage Airport trying to claim your luggage and listen to what people do. Oh, it can be so embarrassing. They can be so totally irate and angry. Just as soon as I might even entertain to do that, and I step up to claim my luggage, they'll say, Hi, Pastor Frank, how you doing? Fine. Yeah, just looking for my luggage. All my anger leaves. All right. And how they handle Christmas lights that are tangled up. I've learned that making a living is not the same as making a life. I've learned that if you want to do something positive for your children, try improving your own marriage. I've learned that life sometimes gives you second chances and we miss them when they come by. I've learned that you shouldn't go through life with a catcher's mitt on both hands. You need to be able to throw something back. I've learned that whenever I decide with kindness, I usually make the right decision. I've learned that it pays to believe in miracles because I've seen many in my day, age 73. An 82 person, I've learned that even when I have pains, I don't have to be one. 
I've learned that every day you should reach out, touch someone, love someone, hug someone, pat someone on the back, 85-year-old person, because people just sometimes just need a little touch. 92, I've learned that I still have a lot to learn. How many of you would say amen and amen to that? That I still have a lot to learn. Now, we're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes. And in this book, this man has learned so much. It's hard for me when I read Ecclesiastes to believe that he wrote Proverbs. Now, when you're reading Ecclesiastes, you'll understand what I just said when you start reading it. Proverbs is filled with Proverbs, words of wisdom, words that actually give you the principles for life. The same man wrote Ecclesiastes, a man who had everything. Solomon had everything, tried everything, did everything. Solomon did not have anything in his time outside of his reach. He went into the field of wisdom and knowledge. He went into the field of any, any kind of human pleasure. He went into the field of wealth and riches. He went into the field of military uh, overcoming nations and taking their, their wealth and their people. He went into, I mean, you name it. This man did everything. He collected horses. Somebody bought him one horse, so he collected a thousand of them and built special barns for them that were better than most people's palaces. He collected peacocks. He collected all kinds of jewelry. He collected coins. He collected wives. He had one thousand concubines and wives. You would think a guy who wrote Proverbs would know better than to have a thousand wives. He did everything to the hill. And yet his testimony comes back. With life, his vanity, vexation, and spirit, it's like chasing the wind. Even though you can have all the fulfillment you want down here, it doesn't do any good because you will still end up giving it to someone else and you will die an unhappy person. When you read Ecclesiastes, it's almost depressing. I warn you right now. But the words are wise and we're going to take them from one side and the other and, and twirl them around and really check into what he's saying because this man has some wisdom for us on how to live and how to live full. He uses a phrase in his book called life. Under the sun. He doesn't say life every time, but that's my life under the sun. He uses the phrase under the sun. Why? Because that's how he lived. Everything was in the natural plane and below. He didn't live above the sun. He lived below the sun. And that whole phrase becomes a revelation of how you and I are not to live our life. We are more than people who just live horizontally. He was so horizontal. That as he reached out with his life to go as far as he could horizontally, he fell off the deep end. He went as far as you can go with horizontal living. Trying and having everything you can imagine and there's still no satisfaction. He didn't do the vertical thing enough. He went so into the horizontal. American society is horizontal. American philosophy of life is horizontal. People who live their life for everything that America offers is a horizontal life. And that's why you have the testimony, which I'll bring to you in books, magazines, articles, and other things. I'll read to you about people, their testimony of having everything you would ever want. And yet, why do they say the things they say about their life? I am so empty. Life is so vain. There's nothing that satisfies me. Nothing with everything you have, no nothing. God wants your life to be full. Full in every way. What does that mean? Let's look at it. I'm going to give you five scriptures to start with. We'll build a foundation here. John 10 and verse 10. 
the thief, you know, the thief is the devil. One of my favorite scriptures is this scripture, and it fits in with my series on full, filled, fullness, all the words that goes into this series. The thief, which is the devil, does not come except to steal. Now, just ask yourself a question. What is the devil stealing from my life? And to kill. If he can't steal it, he'll kill it in your hands. If he can't kill it, he'll mangle it. Destroy means so that it doesn't work properly anymore. That could be your conscience, your dreams, your faith, your ideas, your creativity, your joy, your laughter. Your ability to enjoy people, your ability to enjoy job, your ability to enjoy future, your ability to serve other people, your ability to actually enjoy even the curveballs that come. The devil will mangle that ability so that he destroys your perspective, destroys your life, and steals from you the fullness that God would put into it. And this is why Jesus says right here, I have come. That you may have, now hopefully you're looking at your Bible and you, and you circle these scriptures as I read them. But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus wants you to have life. Come on, tell someone. Jesus wants you to have life. Have life. Now, he didn't say, I want you to have salvation life. He didn't qualify it that way. He didn't say, I want you to have super spiritual prayer life. He didn't say that. He says, I want you to have Life. I want you to have life. And then he goes on to say, and that they might have it, if you're taking notes, in our family of words, more abundantly. So Jesus says, I want your life to be so full that you are living above the normal. And it's an overflow. And you have an abundant life. And I want you to have that in every area of your life. Ask yourself this morning, are you running on empty in any area of your life? Financial, domestic, career, relationships? Are you running on empty? Are you not full? What about your life? Psalm 16, verse 11. You will show me, notice what Jesus says, the path. I mean, not Jesus, the psalmist. The path of life. Life is a path. Now, you choose it. It's hard to get off of the one you choose. Jesus talks about the more abundant life. The psalmist says, I'll show you a path of life. Now, here's our word. In your presence is, everyone say fullness. Fullness. In your presence and out from your presence and the resources in, that come through your presence fills me up. And so I have fullness of joy. And then it says at your right hand are pleasures. Everyone say pleasures. Now, this is an interesting word and one that has to appear in this series. Because you talk about a full life, you're going to have to use the word pleasure somewhere. And the word satisfy somewhere. And the word desire somewhere. You're going to have to kind of bring those together. If I'm driving down one of our streets in the metro area and I see a sign that says, Pleasure Palace. I say, oh, I should stop here. There's an intercessory prayer meeting going on. This is a place for me. I know what pleasure palaces are. This is where people seek God and a lot of great things are happening in there. I, no, you and I both know that if it says pleasure palace or anything about pleasure this or pleasure that or come where all your pleasures can be fulfilled or pleasure play, we know time out. That's wrong. Those are bad things going on in there. I'm not going to let myself have the fulfillment of those kind of pleasures. Well, let me redeem the word for a second. The Bible 
right here says, at your right hand are pleasures. Pleasures? Pleasures? God has pleasures to give you? You mean that God wants me to enjoy something so much that I would say, that is absolutely pleasant to me. That is so good, I am fulfilled doing it in such a way it brings pleasure to my life. What brings pleasure to your life? It can be something that's innocent and right and non-sinful, but it's pleasant to you, and God wants you to enjoy that pleasant thing. That pleasant thing could be writing poetry or learning the guitar or taking a walk or being a gardener or doing something on the natural plane that God would love you to have in your life. But because of your busyness or you don't see it as any use for you anymore, you have no pleasure in anything. So you're living life in one plane, but without any pleasures. How many of you have pleasure in eating chocolate? There's no sin in chocolate unless you eat it for breakfast. What brings you pleasure? How did God make you? What brings me pleasure is not the same thing that brings you pleasure, I'm sure. But there are some righteous things that God wants to bring into my life that would be a pleasure for me to live. I believe what happens is we get so rutted in our routines of life and so blinded as to the great things God has around us, we don't really enjoy anything. We don't even enjoy our ride to work in the morning on the freeway. We get upset. It's raining. It's traffic backed up. There's an accident at the freeway. And I have to do this every day. Thank God you have a car. Thank God you have a job. Make your drive pleasurable. Say, Frank, are you an idiot? No. You know what I do with my drive? Because I drive 20 to 30 minutes one way to work every day. You know what I do? Oh, I listen to music and I listen to tapes and that. But you know what I do for pleasure? I hate to tell you this because I'm sure it will come back on me. I count how many cars have women in them that are putting their makeup on for work. Now, please don't hold this against me as a low level endeavoring to enjoy the ride. But it is absolutely fascinating. It is fascinating to me that nobody is killed. It is fascinating to me that they can do their entire face. They can do their eyelashes, their cheeks, their lips, their ears, their hair, and talk on the phone and drive. I tell you right now, women are geniuses. They are incredible. Well, it's just a little pleasure for me. I just get a kick out of just how many of them do it and how they get away with it. And the traffic is slow enough. I can see what they do. Now, sometimes I really get a kick out of it because they forget what they're doing and their car comes to a full stop and the whole lane goes about 15 cars ahead and they're still sitting there doing something. And all of a sudden they wake up and they go, stop again. And I just think it is pure pleasure. To watch life. Life. Psalms 36, verse 8 and 9. They are abundantly satisfied. Now, if God was talking directly to you this morning and used your name here, could you identify with this verse and say, that's right, I am abundantly satisfied with my life. 
Or are you one of these people that's going to live the if and when? I'd be satisfied with my life if God would give me another car, another job, another house, another pair of shoes, another friend, another. If this, but sure enough, it happens and the enjoyment still isn't there. When God really brings this kind of blessing, then I will enjoy. What happened to enjoying every day of your life, being full of life every morning? What happened to being full of life for everything you touch? What happened to an attitude that says, this is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad. God, what are you going to bring into today? You know what? I love my job. I love the people I work with. Oh, some of them are hard, but there's hard people on every job. Matter of fact, I might be one of the people that's hard to work with. And so I have to rejoice over myself. Are you abundantly satisfied with the fullness? There's our word again. Fullness of your house. And you give them drink. Notice, this is a pretty big river. From the river of your pleasures. Pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. And in your light we see light. So there's pleasures, there's abundance, there's a path, there's a fountain. All these sound wide and open. Psalms 107 verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul. There's that word satisfy again. And he fills, there's another one of our words, the hungry soul with goodness. Are you satisfied? Are you full? Isaiah 29, verse 8. Here's the opposite. Isaiah 29 and verse 8. It shall be even as when a hungry man dreams, listen to the parable, and he and looks, he eats, because he's dreaming. But when he awakes, his soul is still empty. It's so descriptive of the whole American culture right there. We finally wake up to life again, but our soul is still empty, even though we've done this and done that and done this and done that, and piled all this stuff into our life. I'm still not happy. Or as when a thirsty man dreams, and look, he drinks. But when he wakes up, he's just as weak as ever, and his soul still craves something. Do you crave something that you can't quite get a handle on? Crave a better marriage, but it's just elusive. Crave something in a relationship that you just can't find. You crave something in life. Sometimes you just kind of look at yourself in the mirror. Even though you're a Bible-believing, Spirit-led, Spirit-filled kind of person, you look in the mirror and just say, there's got to be more than this. I'm not happy with everything I'm doing. I'm not filled. I'm not satisfied. Why did I go to college to become an accountant when I don't even like numbers? Why did I go to school to become a teacher when I don't like kids? Why didn't I do something I like? Why did I end up like this? What is wrong with me? Why can't I enjoy? Well, I really want to get into your heart, into your life, and give you some keys so that no matter where you are in your journey in life, you will not end up riding the desperate soul journey that... Uh, Solomon wrote, you will not end up with Ecclesiastes. You'll take the wisdom from that and you'll turn your life around to be in a life that is full of good things, God, future, hope, satisfaction, righteous pleasures. How many of you would say, you could be talking to me. How many of you would say, I could use a little bit more out of life. How many of you would say, I know that I'm not full. Well, 
So we're going to get full together. All right, here we go. I'm going to give you a couple definitions, and that's as much as I can do this morning. Understanding the meaning of full. When you take the word full and spread it out with all your, you know, lexicon, the Greek stuff, and all the stuff you don't care about but I live with, and I try to find out what does the Bible say about this word, and this is all I want you to see as I give you the Hebrew and the Greek and then an extended definition of three-liners. Whatever this word means and the Scriptures teach it, that should be part of my life. So I look at it from this view as I study this. Okay, this is the doctrine of full. This is what the scripture really says about it. And so now I want to put a definition to that doctrine so that when you read it and you think about it, you would say, my life should be just like that. And that's exactly what the scriptures teach. Here's the definition, the Hebrew. It means to fill, to be full, fullness, and satisfy completely. So the scriptures I've read you for a purpose. The word full itself has the idea of something that satisfies you, and it satisfies you completely. You don't end up craving. You don't end up questioning. You don't end up kicking yourself when you're 70 saying, why didn't I live differently? Why did I let my life be so meaningless? Yes, I went to church. Yes, I didn't be a gross sinner, and I didn't do all, I didn't do the Don't do things, but what about the do things I never did? Well, I don't want you to end up like that. I want you to end up saying, I did more than I ever thought. My life was so full. If I had to live it all over again, I'd live it the same way. I want to pass on this fullness to my children and my children's children. I want them to live their life. And when they finish to say, oh, it tasted so good. If anyone could have a life like mine, they would be so satisfied and they would be so absolutely overjoyed with their journey? Or would it be, I hope nobody ever has to live my life. I hope nobody has to go through what I went through. I hope nobody ends up the way I've ended up. I hope nobody shoots the arrow so short as I have shot the arrow. I hope to God my kids have enough sense not to work this job. I hope to God they don't end up the way I did with my bills and my debts and never did anything with my money and I never had any investment. I hope to God they've learned from my life. And that's one way to look at it. And if you're there, I'm hoping to change that into what has been half full or totally empty into a life that is filled with some faith and some hope and some future and some principles that you will not end up that way. That way you will end up by saying, my life was full and I pass on fullness to my kids and my grandkids in the mighty name of Jesus. Can I hear an amen? I want your life to be full of the right things. The Greek word means to be filled to fullness. Again, that's our basic definition. And again, notice the Bible says satisfied, satisfied, fulfilling. I like the last line here. It is the quality of a person's life. What is the quality of your life? In the medical world, that's a big thing. What will be the quality of this person's life after this accident? We have to determine if they have enough of quality of life that we should even keep them alive because the quality of life. I mean, can you move? Can you breathe? Can you speak? Can you see? Quality of life. Let's take it out of that realm just to your realm. What would be the quality of your life? Would you score high on satisfaction, meaning, significance, absolute pleasures of God in my life that I'm enjoying, pass it on to everybody I can? 
The combined definition goes like this. Here are three one-liners you need to get into your heart in prayer. Get these into your journal and pray over them. I found this definition over and over again. Number one, to be filled to overflowing. Completely filled with no room left. God wants you to be filled to the brim with no room left. Actually, He wants you to live in an overflow. He doesn't want you to live just to have enough of the fullness to bless your own life. See, my responsibility for being full changed the day Sharon said she would marry me. The day that she said yes, in 1976 we got married, which is about a hundred years ago. And so we've been married for 30 years. Well, my responsibility now is to do what? Well, when I was zero to 26, I was consumed with filling my well, my hopes, my dreams, and having a, a fullness of life for my ministry and what I need to accomplish, man, I'm on track. But then I take another person into my world. Now I have to have my well filled and stay full. And I also have to have enough overflow to bless my wife, to give her hope and to give her vision and to help her ministry and her talents and to give her time and to give her money for shopping. It's all part of the overflow. And so as I live my life, I can go to school and go to college and get my degrees and work hard every night and every day. And then when I come home, there's my wife. I have nothing left to give her. No words of encouragement, no words of direction, no words of overflow. There's nothing left in my spirit. I just fall off the bed or I become a couch potato and watch TV. I have no overflow for this woman. And so the relationship changes. Because I have no overflow. When you are full of God and you learn what I'm going to say about living life under the sun and above the sun and in the sun, S-O-N, through the sun, the Lord Jesus Christ, and your life becomes full, you have enough overflow to make life fun and fulfilling for other people. You know, I have four children, and I don't say this to, to brag, because my kids are like your kids. They have needs and they have to grow up and they got to do everything else. But my kids like to hang out with me. You know why? I am fun. That's right. I'm fun. I can make a bowl of cereal fun. I can make cooking breakfast fun. I can make driving fun. I can put a spice of life into everything we're doing. I can make even the challenge we have with a diabetic child fun. That might sound weird to you, but what are we supposed to do? Live under guilt? Live under fear? Live under this whole regiment we now have to have with four tests a day and three shots a day and weigh all the food and every number counts? I mean, it's every day, all day long. It never quits. Either I can get under that and get mad at God. I'm a pastor. I'm a minister. I pray for miracles. Why don't you hear my kid? I, I can't live with this. I don't have time to have this kind of pressure. Or I can blame the, her for maybe something she opened her life to, which can't be blamed. She didn't do anything. Or I can blame the devil. Or I can whatever. But it doesn't do any good. So what I have to do is I have to let fullness flow from me to that girl with that need in her life and make her enjoy her problem. So you know what I say to her? I say to Jessica, I say, hey, you know what is so awesome about this? What, Dad? You would be dead a hundred years ago. That's what I tell her. A hundred years ago, you would have been sick. 
I wouldn't have known what to do. You would have gone into a coma. The doctors would have said all kinds of things. And you would have been dead before they figured out anything. And they would have called it a fever or some virus. They had no clue. And I would have buried you. That's a hundred years ago. But now you have modern made insulin to preserve your life. You are blessed. And this is fun. Tell me. Jessica, how many friends do you have to get the pack of needles to school? Huh? How many? We can actually, and she's 13, we can laugh about it. Oh, we cry too. But there's no use to just get this whole burdensome thing on you. You might as well just... Enjoy what comes your way and make the best out of it and enjoy life and enjoy God and not let these things crowd you so much that you turn into a griper. The world has enough gripers. Don't add to it. The world has enough negative people. Don't be. The world has enough people that are always talking about their glass being half empty. Don't be. Be a person that changes right now and say, I am a person who's going to be full, full of God, full of the Word, full of positive confession, full of faith and vision. I'm going to enjoy the drive on the freeway, the flat tire, and even the curveballs of life because I can. Out of my overflow, I have enjoyment. Come on. It's your choice. It's your choice. If you don't choose it now, when will you choose it? All right. Second definition. To fill something to the full extent of what is necessary. Third definition. To be filled up not just to the limit, but filling so as to go beyond the limits. Now, this is the will of God for your life. God wants to fill you up to overflowing. He wants you to have enough for you and everyone around you. And everybody that you touch in your job, everybody you touch in life, you have enough left to give them. He also wants you to be so full, even to the extent of what is necessary for you to live your life of challenges. He will fill that if you would open to it. And he wants you to go beyond the limits. Trade in your five-gallon container for a ten-gallon container and for a fifty-gallon container. Let your life get larger and bigger in mind, spirit, and soul so that God can fill you with more. Don't be satisfied with your level of life. Go on to something larger. Let your soul grow. Let your spirit grow. Life. God wants to give you pleasure. Mother Teresa, she, she's still my hero. I still read her stuff. You know what she said about what gave her pleasure? What gave her pleasure was not feeding the poor. She was not called to feed the poor, orphanages, and none of that. That was not her calling. You know what her calling was? You know what gave her pleasure? She felt God gave her a dream to be a person who would be around dying people so that nobody would die by themselves. Her calling in life was to be the person to hold their hand, that dirty body on the street, that person who had nobody else, the throwaway bodies of India, she would find them and she said she would find pleasure in looking into those dark eyes and saying, go ahead and breathe your last breath because you're not by yourself. It's my pleasure to die with you, to be here when you die. And she would 
find the terminal cases and the almost dead people. Of course, they just start sending those people to her after a while. And she says, my cup runneth over with dying people. Wow. Amazing that that would give her pleasure. That's what I mean about the pleasures of God. God might give you a pleasure in something that someone else would go, what? Huh? What are you talking about? But God knows how to give you some secret pleasures that nothing else could ever, 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 ever touch that would give you so much pleasure and fulfilling. How many of you are ready to get a full life? 